Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, Policy Pack Software, Liquidware, and Goliath Technologies. If you enjoy the podcast each week, you have these great sponsors to thank. And now for some news. On last week's episode, I reported on the fact that Windows Server 2022 was available on the Volume License Software Center and via MSDN downloads. The new OS has also been available in the Azure Marketplace. Well, this week, Windows Server 2022 became generally available. Now, apologies to those who listened last week because the next few seconds will be a little repetitious because I'm going over some of the information about the new OS which I also covered last week. But Windows Server 2022 comes in standard, data center, and data center Azure edition. Microsoft has changed the release cadence of upgrades going forward, and for Server 2022, that means it will be more like a long-term service channel with no semi-annual upgrades available are required. Server releases will get 10 years of support comprised of five mainstream years and five extended. With the OS, users will be able to apply advanced multi-layer protection against threats enabled easily with secured core server. They'll have secure connectivity to business critical assets with an additional layer of security during transport, including support for HTTPS and TLS 1.3 enabled by default. Manage and govern Windows Server on-prem with Azure Arc. Get better virtual machine management with the latest Windows Admin Center. Migrate file servers from on-premises to Azure with new supported scenarios in the storage migration service. And I think I covered a few weeks or months ago about some of the new features in regards to storage that Ned Pilot shared. That's going to actually be some pretty exciting changes. So um, definitely check those out in the new OS. You'll also be able to improve container application deployment with smaller image size for faster download and simplified network policy implementation, which is awesome because I believe the current base image or base container is like 3.5 gigs, so a smaller, quicker one would be very well appreciated. You'll also be able to update .NET applications with the new containerization tool in Windows Admin Center. My buddy Ruben Sprout shared that the multi-session capability is still available in this server release, so it looks like a published desktop should still be possible with Windows Server 2022. It has also been pointed out and pretty widely reported that the free Hyper-V server version is not going to be available in Server 2022, which is kind of disappointing. You can, of course, go and download it and check out the new OS for yourself and figure out what's new and cool. And you could also check out the Server Summit event that will be held on September 16th, where I'm sure Microsoft will share a lot more detail and get into the nitty-gritty. Microsoft have also this week announced that Windows 11 will be available on October 5th. The free upgrade to Windows 11 starts on October 5th and will be phased and measured with a focus on quality. So it sounds like it's going to be an update that users will get prompted for on Windows 10 kind of in a staggered approach, which is probably smart. 
Some of the highlights of this release, according to Microsoft, includes new design and sounds are modern, fresh, clean, and beautiful, bringing you a sense of calm and ease. Snap layouts, snap groups, and desktops provide an even more powerful way to multitask and optimize your screen real estate. Chat from Microsoft Teams is integrated into the taskbar. Widgets are back with a new personalized feed powered by artificial intelligence, and it provides a faster way to access the info you care about, which not everyone likes widgets. I know a lot of, um, I guess, not that tech savvy people were really big fans of widgets because you go into a lot of organizations and a lot of people had widgets all over their desktops. As became apparent after the, I believe, second preview version was released, there is also going to be a new redesigned Microsoft Store, and they've collaborated with Amazon too to bring some of those Android apps, which will be kind of cool. Uh, Windows 11 is said to be also the most inclusively designed version of Windows with new accessibility improvements that were built for and by people with disabilities. They say the Windows 11 is also the operating system for hybrid work, delivering new experiences that work how you work, are secure by design, and easy and familiar for IT to deploy and manage. Businesses can also test Windows 11 in preview today in Azure Virtual Desktop or at general availability by experiencing Windows 11 in the new Windows 365. So it's a pretty big claim to say that it will fit how you work and is secure by design. So I guess we're going to have to see how, how that goes in the first few months of its release. And that's actually kind of repetitious too, because if you've been listening to the podcast, I've covered a lot of these new features as they became apparent in the preview releases, or even when they were quote unquote leaked <laughs> over a month ago. Sticking with some Windows 11 information, Microsoft has confirmed that customers with CPUs older than Intel's eighth generation won't be blocked from installing Windows 11, but will need to download and manually install an ISO file by themselves. And that's according to a report by The Verge. Benzinga.com then also states that Microsoft is also indicating that unsupported PCs will not receive Windows updates, including security and driver updates. More and more devices are becoming supported, which is a good news, at least from the TPM version 2 requirement through FTPM being enabled by vendors. Bleeping Computer this week reported that Microsoft is kicking unsupported Windows 11 devices out of the Windows 11 preview program without warning, even though in their previous statements they said that that would not happen until the new Windows version had been officially released. Some testers have reported an error saying, your PC does not meet the minimum hardware requirements for Windows 11. Your device is not eligible to join the Windows Insider program on Windows 11. Please install Windows 10 to participate in the Windows Insider program in the release preview channel. So that would be really annoying if you're one of those people who had been doing Microsoft's QA for them on the preview and then they basically bork you and kick you out of the program. Shortly after last week's episode, a major story broke. Microsoft sent an email warning thousands of customers that intruders could have the ability to read, change, or even delete their main databases in Azure, that is, their Cosmos databases. The vulnerability 
is in the Cosmos database and a research team at security company Wiz discovered it was able to access keys that control access to databases held by thousands of companies. Wiz's chief technology officer, Amy Lutfak, is a former CTO at Microsoft's cloud security group. So I wonder how Amy feels about now discovering such a major vulnerability in her previous employer's flagship cloud database offering. But anyways, unfortunately, Microsoft cannot change those keys themselves. So it had to email customers telling them that they had to create new ones. For discovering the vulnerability, Microsoft has agreed to pay Wiz $40,000. Microsoft's email to customers says it has fixed the underlying vulnerability and that there was no evidence that the flaw had been exploited. So if you use Cosmos in Azure, you might want to check your email to see if you got contacted about this because you may have some manual mitigation to apply. And before I get off of that, some tech media outlets have been carrying that this is about as serious a vulnerability that a cloud product or vendor could have. I mean, the ability to access other customers' databases and even delete them is pretty serious. So good on Wiz for finding it and letting Microsoft know and hopefully protecting a lot of customers. Again, if you are listening to this and you use Cosmos in your organization in your Azure tenant, make sure that you are protected. Microsoft announced this week that they will be making a change to Microsoft 365 usage analytics on September 1st to pseudo-anonymize user-level information by default. I probably butchered the pronunciation of that word. Anyways, this change affects the following products and APIs and will help companies support their local privacy laws. And that includes Microsoft 365 reports in Microsoft 365 Admin Center, Microsoft 365 usage reports in Microsoft Graph, Microsoft Teams analytics and reporting in the Microsoft Teams Admin Center, and also the report root, which is the Get SharePoint Site Usage Detail API for SharePoint. Global admins can revert this change for their tenant and show identifiable user information if their organization's privacy practices allow. I mean, <laughs> still, why would you do that? Don't do that. Anyway, this could be achieved in the Microsoft 365 Admin Center if needed by just going to Settings, Org Settings, Services, and selecting Reports. Then under Choose How to Show User Information, select Select Show Identifiable User Information and Reports. Personally, I like it. It makes sense that they would anonymize that type of data. It doesn't really matter who the person is or who the user is. So, in a, well, in a lot of instances. So, good move. The Hacker News this week reported on six security weaknesses that affect VMware vRealize operations, VMware Cloud Foundation, and VMware's vRealize Suite Lifecycle Manager. Rather than go through all of the details, I'll just highlight probably the most worrying of the vulnerabilities, and that's CVE-2021-22025, and that is broken access control vulnerability in vRealize Operations Manager API that allows an unauthenticated malicious actor to add new nodes to the existing vROPS cluster. 
from my experience with VROPs, if you were to allow someone to just sneak something into the VROPs cluster and you're running some like automated flows, that has the potential to give someone a lot of access to do some really bad things. So that carries a severity rating of 8.6. And if you want to see more information and a list of all the vulnerabilities, I'll share a link with this episode, which is episode 192. And you'll find that on fivebytespodcast.com under reference links for this episode. Leapy Computer reported that some people have been reporting problems installing updates on Windows 10 after receiving an PSFX underscore E underscore matching underscore binary underscore missing error. Well, Microsoft has released KB5005932, which is a Windows setup update that allows users to perform a manual in-place upgrade by configuring a registry setting, then you'll be able to get back in the flow of being able to install updates again. Threatpost.com reported this week on a security vulnerability in Parallel's popular Windows emulation on Mac OS product. The vulnerability is CVE-2021-34864, and it's caused by improper access control in the Parallel's WinApp helper component. The flaw, according to Parallel's, is specifically tied to the software's Parallels Tools, a proxy for communication between the host's Mac OS and the virtual machine's operating system. An attacker can leverage this vulnerability to escalate privileges and execute arbitrary code in the context of the hypervisor and comes with an 8.8 severity rating. So there's a few different options for mitigating the security vulnerability, and that includes the obvious one, upgrading to Parallels version 17 if you're on 16 or earlier, or you could disable shared folders, which sounds like it's not actually a very good one to use because then you lose a key feature within the product, or alternatively, isolate the VM from the Mac, which is even more severe because it takes away a lot of the features. I mean, you want to be able to have your Mac OS layer communicate and integrate with the Windows OS. There's also a warning about the shared folders that uh, when you disable that, you might have like duplicate folders and files. So the only really workable solution here is to upgrade to Parallel 17. I know in the past I had a version of Parallels that was no longer compatible after I upgraded Mac OS and I ended up having to actually buy and pay for a new license to get the new version. So I'm not sure if that's still the case that, you know, since there's a vulnerability in the earlier version, are they still going to charge you to go to 17? I'm not sure, but I guess it wouldn't surprise me. This week, Citrix highlighted a preview support for MSIX and MSIX App Attach in Citrix Virtual Apps and Desktop. The Citrix personalization for AppV components have been enhanced to add this support for launching applications that are containerized in MSIX packages or even mounted with App Attach disks. The feature is supported in CVAD within Citrix Cloud only, or at least that's the way I'm reading it. They say it's not possible to import MSIX packages and app attached disks into an on-prem CVAD instance. I wonder if that's going to be the case when it's out of preview. 
Staging of MSIX packages requires that side loading is enabled on the VDA, which if you've used MSIX, that's not that surprising. Also, Citrix does not attempt to enable this automatically, so you'll have to do it. And they provide some instructions on how you can do that if you've never used MSIX before. Policy Pack Device Manager is now available. This awesome feature enables you to block USB and CD-ROM DVD devices and allow them only when required. You could specify which users and groups can access what devices and specify exacting access, such as read-only, read-write access, or full control. They say you don't have to let data walk out of the building or let USB sticks into the building, causing your next ransomware attack. Policy Pack just keeps getting better and better in my opinion. When I powered up my business SKU cloud PC a couple weeks ago, one of my first instincts was, I really need to get Policy Pack layered in here for security. If you haven't tried the products, you really should. They make what is usually difficult to do very simple. I mean, I really hate working with group policy, which I know, I think Jeremy found pretty funny. I can recall at the EUC Masters retreat a few years ago, he used one of my tweets where I basically cursed out group policy because of my hatred of it. And that's actually perfect or was perfect for him because policy pack really makes group policy so much easier to manage and just takes all of the guesswork out. Plus it exposes some really awesome features that a lot of people don't really know about. So as well as adding unique features within the product. If you haven't looked at it from a security perspective, definitely check out policy pack device manager and my favorite would be the policy pack least privilege manager too so check both of those out and now a story that i probably should have put right after the windows server 2022 stuff sorry i have a tendency of doing the script across multiple days but anyway citrix virtual apps and desktop will be offering day one support for windows server 2022 they say that Citrix Virtual Apps and Desktop Service and Citrix Virtual Apps and Desktop CR version 2106 will offer support for the server platform across on-prem and cloud-hosted environments, including Microsoft Azure Virtual Desktop. Engadget has reported that Google is making its own ARM-based Chromebook processors that could hit the market in 2023. The report also suggests Google's decision was inspired by Apple's success with their M1 processor. Google already has its own mobile chip called Tensor in their recent Pixel phones, so the idea of them having their own processor is not completely alien. And as my buddy Ruben pointed out on Twitter, competition is healthy, so this is a good thing. A GDPR fine has been levied against another big player and is once again a record fine. WhatsApp Ireland has been issued a 225 million euro fine. This is after a three-year investigation that had been getting some mainstream coverage in Ireland recently, as WhatsApp is a very popular for local GAA clubs and also for different community groups. They use the service as a group chat for sharing information about the groups. A main area of concern is a lack of transparency of information provided to users about the processing of their data between WhatsApp and other Facebook companies. I referenced an RTE report for this story and it focuses on the fine, but there was also a recent story here about an upcoming change to WhatsApp 
that could see people requiring a Facebook account to use the service. So this seems pretty timely for this fine and the details to be provided. In addition to the fine, the data compliance regulators have provided a list of changes that they expect to bring WhatsApp into compliance. Microsoft have announced general availability of a new screen capture protection feature in Azure Virtual Desktop. This would be a welcome boost, particularly to those in healthcare and finance. I saw a debate about whether or not this kind of feature is all that impressive with suggestions on how you can just easily get around it. But I have to say from my time and particularly in finance and healthcare, I think that it is worthwhile because part of the data compliance dance is putting features like this in place to make it as hard as possible in order to meet compliance. It's regular for organizations to bring in data compliance auditors to make sure that the environment is meeting expectations. There unfortunately is no such thing as unbreakable security. I mean, a simple one would be a person who's working remotely or wherever with a high resolution monitor and a new smartphone with a good camera. I mean, they could get a really clear, usable image that's displaying sensitive information like patient information or investor details or something like that. While I think the screen capture protection is an important feature, I think I put in a user voice. I'm not sure. I'll probably have to go back and check. But this together with something like a watermark uh, would be more useful too for exactly that reason that I just said. If they take a picture or uh, printing something or whatever, that the watermark is going to appear uh, in case that data makes its way somewhere else. So while this would not be completely effective and a watermark's not completely effective, it's not going to stop someone from taking that data and doing what they want with it. But a company still needs to ensure that they have covered themselves and they're putting the liability on the person that's misappropriating the data rather than themselves. And finally, for the news this week, I saw that Isadora Katanic has compiled an amazing gallery of some of the best home offices in the community. And one lucky winner will be selected by your votes to win a $250 prize. So get out there and take a look at the different home office setups and vote for your favorite. And I'll share a link with this episode so you can check out the gallery and submit your vote. And now some hot jobs. Well, I don't do the hot job segment every week, as you know, if you listen regularly, but I figured it was worthwhile doing this week because I saw that Incentra are hiring currently for 15 open positions in a range of different roles, including cloud consultants, Citrix consultants, cloud architects, project managers, and more. The positions are based in the US, UK, and Australia. And also I saw that ITQ are looking for an end-user computing consultant who would be based in the Netherlands. They're looking for someone with passion for technology who has a lot of experience in one or more VMware EUC solutions. They say that it's more than a job. Next to having a good salary and benefits, they offer an environment in which you can get the most out of your career. You will be working with the best in the field, VMware vExperts, EUC champions, and some really just sharp, experienced people. 
They say they offer a family-like culture in which passion, ownership, quality, and authenticity are their core values. They also have annual company retreats, visits to VMworld, and monthly gatherings, which that seems like a pretty uh, regular and active company for doing get-togethers, which is pretty cool. They also have annual summer barbecues and an annual Christmas dinner. Some of the required skills include college or university level of functioning, which is interesting because it didn't say you need a degree, just that level of functioning, which is probably better, I think. I know it keeps coming up, and I know my buddy Guy Leach is pretty vocal about it, but you know, college and university degrees for IT and technology that just changes so rapidly is pretty redundant in my opinion. I mean, it's still good to go into a kind of structured learning environment and there's nothing wrong with getting a degree especially if it's very accessible to you but making it a requirement for a tech job is kind of pointless now anyway also required is several years of it experience at different business environments good social and communication skills excellent dutch and english speaking and writing skills plus more i'll share a link for this job post as well as the incentra job posts and you can find out more details for yourself. And now a weekly webinar. I saw that the awesome Christian Brinkhoff had shared that Microsoft will be holding a community Windows 365 event on September 9th. You will learn how to set up and manage cloud PCs with a free day training brought to you by the Windows 365 community members and Microsoft Engineering. So if you're curious about Windows 365, which I think you should be, there's, in my opinion, a lot more positive than negative, and it's a pretty exciting offering from Microsoft, then check this out. And also, you can check my blog out at algiz-technology.com. I've got a lot on Windows 365 over there. And now, some scripts, tricks, and tips. So I figured this was going to be a longer episode, so I kept this segment kind of short this week. But I also saw Christian had shared this week that there's a really great Win32 app migration tool that's designed to inventory config manager applications and deployment types and then build a .intune win file and create Win32 apps in the mem admin center. So if you're looking particularly at Windows 365, at least the enterprise queue for right now, that supports MEM for deploying your applications. Uh, it might be handier to convert those to Intune Win files rather than limiting yourself by needing to deploy the more legacy line of business application type. I wonder if the Intune ones are actually quicker for deployments. I'll have to test that out. That's been one of my disappointments with using MEM is it takes quite a long time for the applications to actually deploy to the cloud PCs. In my experience, it's been 15 to 30 minutes. Usually 15 minutes, but sometimes it's taken longer. And finally, I saw that the CEO of iGel, our eGel technology, interviewed the incredible Kevin Goodman, who is the former CEO of FS Logix, and now I believe the official title is product manager, I think. I'm sorry if I got that wrong, because I did watch the entire episode, but I believe he's a product manager at AWS, and he gave a bit of a teaser. He didn't give too much away of what he's working on with AWS, but it sounds like it's going to be a new, cool 
product and offering from them. Again, he didn't share de details. He did mention that he believes that no one has solved the application problem yet within enterprise IT. So maybe that's an indicator. I found it really, really interesting. I've had some cool conversations with Kevin over the years at different events, or I think once even just had an impromptu call with him as well. He's a really interesting guy to talk to and another one of those guys who's a really good big picture thinker. I remember seeing him do a session at the Kansas CUGC years ago. And one of the cool things about Kevin is like he goes to these events and he'll do like two or three minutes on FS Logics, even though they're paying to sponsor and they get that time from paying. You're like, ah, who wants to hear about FS Logics for the next 30 minutes? And who wants to hear about something else? He said, I'll do a very quick introduction to FS Logics. You guys probably already know it. And then I'll get into this other topic. And like he did things about Citrix and like the roadmap and direction for Citrix going forward, where he sees things landing and going. And he's done a whole other really interesting set of topics that for someone like me, who was kind of stuck in the day-to-day -day grind of enterprise IT, I didn't really have the ability to think big picture and long-term of these things. But Kevin has that insight, and it's really interesting to hear more about him on this video podcast called The Attic. And I'll share a link to that if you want to watch it for yourself. I suggest that you do. Well, if you stuck through this entire episode because it was a long one, I appreciate it, and I appreciate your continued support, and thank you so much. I'll catch you next week.